Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Nudges for Social Good podcast from the Local Government Association. My name is Rian Gladman and I manage the Behavioural Insights Programme here at the LGA. And as you know, our aim is to demystify behavioural insights and provide learning from practical projects across the country that you can then try out in your own council. So our regular listeners will recall that over the past year, we've been working with groups of councils or consortiums to run behaviour change projects. And we've previously heard from the Yorkshire and Humber Consortium project to increase sustainable travel. So today is the turn of the councils from the North East London Consortium, and we're going to hear about their project to address local health inequalities by increasing the uptake of NHS health checks. And it's great to have Vicky and Steph here with us today. Good afternoon. How are you both? Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Hi. Thank you for having us. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Great stuff. Thanks for the time this afternoon um, and for you know spending your time sharing your learning about this interesting project with all of our listeners today. So over to you ladies to introduce yourself. Vicky, over to you first please. Great. Hi, yeah, I'm Vicky Rowland and um, during this project in particular I was a public health practitioner at the London Bor- uh, Borough of Havering in the public health team. Uh, I'm now currently working as a behavioural science specialist in the behaviour change unit at Hertfordshire County Council Um, and my background is I'm I'm a health psychology trainee and just just about to complete my professional doctorate. So yeah. Congratulations on that. I know you've been working hard on that. That's excellent stuff. And Steph over to you. Yes, hi. Um, so my name is Stephanie Renucci. I'm the managing director and, and founder of an insights and innovation agency called uh, Unpitched. We're based in London and as part of this project, um, I've been uh, very much the sort of the point lead uh, and director. Great stuff. Welcome, Steph. And Thanks. so just to, to sort of kick us off, I'm keen, Vicky, to get an understanding of the background from the council's point of view of the motivations of applying to the LGA's Behavioural Insights Programme and, and this project in particular. Yeah, of course. I mean, as as I've mentioned, I'm a health um, psychology trainee, so I've got um, quite an in-depth interest in behavioural science and um, particularly applying it at a population level. Um, And I started working in the public health team at Havering and it was quite clear that they were quite keen to embed more behavioural science into the work that we were doing. But it was just working out sort of how we were going to do that as a as a local authority and still, you know, be able to um, keep up, obviously, with all the, the usual public health work that we do. I'm a firm believer that behavioural science um, is, is in the work that we do anyway, but it was really nice just to be able to make it explicit. So actually, I, I, I saw the programme um, advert on your website, on the LGA website, um, and I, I took it to our director of studies um, at the time, as I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to do that, sort of embedding that behavioural science into the work that we do. Um, and he was really quite keen. And so before we put in a bid, we um, obviously knew that this was a consortium type programme, we would have to do it with other councils. So I attended uh, the monthly North East London 
um, director of public health um, prevention meeting and sort of presented what this program might look like for us and and how and how it would be beneficial for all of our uh, the northeast london um um public health teams and actually i was really pleasantly surprised with how enthusiastic everyone was about doing this project um and i was really pleased that 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 interest um was there um so that's how that's how it sort of came about and we then started discussing around you know a, a quite a few different topics around sort of health inequalities um, access to healthcare services cancer screening um, and we actually put in quite a few different different bids um, and I, I linked up with um, Jin from City and Hackney who helped me create the the expressions of interest um, and then that's that's when it came up around sort of the health inequalities um, the health inequalities bid that was really we were quite keen on actually because of what was happening at the time with COVID really exacerbated those health inequalities that were already there and it was I think it was sort of opening everyone's eyes that wow we really need to do something about this um, so that's how it really all, all came about for for North East London. Yes, yeah, so I think for us, um, being the supplier, what uh, we 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 got the the challenge and the brief um, a little bit later on, right after the all the councils and the consortium had been mulling on this problem of how do we increase access to to healthcare, how do we correct inequalities in access to healthcare, in uh, well not quite the aftermath, but after the the first sort of two waves of the COVID pandemic. I think that's um, that's where one of the the key challenges of this project lied is that, you know, we had to deliver um, a sort of a public health program and intervention, really in the middle of the pandemic, actually. Uh, and I think there's really quite a lot that was learned from that perspective. So then, when um, so when we when we we sort of kicked off the project with uh, the LGA and the consortium. The objective and the intent was very clear, reduce, reducing access, uh, sort of inequalities in access to healthcare. But uh, the question of how and what challenge exactly, uh, you know, sort of how do we bring precision around that challenge? That was really the first thing that um, that we had to uncover. So uh, our first step very much was to say, OK, what what exactly are the barriers in a, that we're seeing in access to healthcare? How is that manifesting itself? What are those sort of the, the what is the rich hunting ground um, where those uh, those inequalities are ma manifesting themselves more? And we had a really long list of potential areas uh, that were brought forth by the by the councils. Um, it ranked from sort of increasing um, childhood immunizations to um, uh, increasing access to cancer screening or um, even increasing access to dental health if you if you remember um, and so um, yeah we, we we landed on increasing access and increasing uptake of the NHS health checks for a number of reasons um, the first one of course is because that was a prevalent issue in all the the, the councils in our consortium um, it was, uh, you know, something that was very high on the sort of the public health agenda and still is, um, but also um, because it was the practical choice, right? We knew that um, we would be able to uh, really create and launch an intervention that we'd be able to 
monitor quite well um, over over a short period of time and consistently across uh, all our councils. So that's kind of uh, how the the you know NHS health check um, statement came about. So yes. there's I guess the story there is around a long list from the councils. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously it's, it's the first time we've worked across consortiums of councils in this manner, isn't it? So can you tell me a bit more about how you did get that consensus really around that one challenge? Because that that's obviously for other councils listening and thinking, how could we replicate this would be mm-hmm. something they'd be keen to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was very much challenge number one, uh, the alignment. Mm-hmm. So the one thing to uh, perhaps to highlight even more is that in designing a, a behavior-led intervention, we really need focus, right? We really need to find this area of focus and to 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 drive uh, alignment and identify those issues across councils. We we took two approaches, right? One was to say, where is the data? What is the data telling us? You know, what are those uh, the the sort of the most pressing uh, issues that you're seeing? Uh, and then we we tried so that's from the sort of the the public health uh, lens and then we applied um, a number of filters going down a, a funnel uh, to to bring more and more precision and through each of those layers we worked down different questions so you know uh, where are the most pressing problems uh, is this something that is being worked on elsewhere in the council in which case we wouldn't have approached that because we didn't want to double up on resources um, is this something that you know we know is uh, is a problem that is most prevalent with the most deprived parts of the population because this was about um, you know decreasing inequalities in access to healthcare. So we had a, a list of sort of successes criteria that each of the councils could apply. And so what that meant is when we when we had uh, the sort of one or two final possible challenges identified, the alignment was quite easy because we were we followed the data towards that. And 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 so the, the alignment was uh, was almost natural, I think, at that point. Um, there were perhaps a few councils that had to make concessions, um, but but we agreed in the room to sort of disagree and commit. And um, and that we knew that whichever challenge we would have chosen anyway, we would have worked towards this uh, overall goal of uh, decreasing inequalities in access to healthcare anyway so yeah yeah and i think i think from a public health perspective i think steph you have touched on that um i think for us it was also you know what was a common um driver for each of the councils and you know nhs health checks you know it's, it's a statutory service that you know we all have to deliver and we all do commission so we thought that actually makes a lot of sense because we're all quite we all have involvement in NHS health checks to some capacity all of our teams whether it was the person on the consortium or not there was there was that link with NHS health checks um we knew we had some access to the data obviously you know having the contracts for for NHS health checks so that was something that um really drove that um and I guess for me personally, I was quite driven by and I'm I'm quite keen for NHS health checks. I think there it's it's actually a really fantastic preventative service. And I think with what was happening with the pandemic and, and services being impacted, this was one that was quite significantly impacted throughout. Um that obviously people weren't getting 
getting their checks because they just they because they weren't able to do them you know the the NHS were under so much pressure so when we were at a point where we perhaps could could um decrease these inequalities but also help with the uptake of NHS health checks in the same time it just made sense for me um and I think I think you're right Steph I think the majority of councils were on board on board with that um I think there were some other um areas that um would have been absolutely fantastic and really great um and interesting but this one just seemed to make sense for everyone actually mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as as Rian, um, you know, mentioned many times, the point was, can we create, can we can we trailblaze in the approach um, and almost then sort of bank those challenges and say, once we've done it once, let's go back and do it all all again on another challenge together. Right. So it wasn't we weren't necessarily closing the door. I think we're just trying to prioritize the sort of the most pragmatic and, and sensical um, challenge at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that, Steph. Disagree and commit. I, I, that's, <laughs> I think I, I like that. I think I saw it from Jeff Bezos, so you know, uh, <laughs> not exactly an original. <laughs> so, so we've landed on our challenge as a consortium. It's all about increasing health checks. So we've we've got the consensus there. The next step is obviously to, to understand what is driving the behaviour of, of people not taking up the health check and what can we do to encourage the behaviour to take it up. So could you say a bit more about how you went about finding out what the barriers were to the behaviour we wanted to encourage? Sure. Should, should I go first? Yeah. So I think the this was the um, really then the the next phase after a line, right? If we go back to our plan, come to sort of identify. Great. So you know we've we've done a, a primary um, data exploration at that point where we've quantified the sort of the issue in access to NHS health check. What we didn't know at that point was who is most likely. Uh, to to not participate in the NHS health check, and why? You know, what are the barriers uh, there? What what is the behavior? What are the behaviors that um, the the sort of the, the people not accessing the health check are, are more likely to exhibit? And um, so, what we embarked upon at that point was a sort of a, a big primary insights campaign where all of the um, all of the consortium uh, everyone in the council sort of went and tried to understand um, who our target would be right whose behavior we were we're going to try and change through inter through the intervention sorry and so um, for that we ran uh, a number of focus groups um, we had actually, uh, uh, Vicky very helpfully uh, helped us uh, launch a survey within a newsletter that was launched by the council so that we could uh, understand the attitudes towards uh, NHS health check in the in the sort of the white population. Uh, I think we did um, uh, quite a mad number of interviews if we think about it, something uh, close to the sort of the, the 50 people that we've surveyed uh, qualitatively and we got close to sort of 200 responses in that that survey, very popular um, newsletter that uh, that Vicky sent. And what that data um, has done for us is that it's really enabled us to zero in on the who, right? Who uh, who we will be targeting for this intervention and what behaviors they were exhibiting. Do you want me to talk about that? Should I go into the detail of that? So. 
in terms um, of the who, that was a really um, interesting demographic profile. Surprisingly or unsurprisingly for the listeners, what we found is that gender was really uh, driving sort of the health-seeking behavior. So men primarily were much less likely uh, to, to, to attend uh, their NHS health check. Younger men amongst uh, those who are invited at the, at the health check, right, invites start at 40. And so uh, it was really the, the sort of the men between 40 and 59 who are least likely to, um, to, to, to attend those NHS health check with, uh, with, those, uh, with their GPs. And, um, and we found that it was those men in the sort of the most deprived deciles, uh, one to four, who were exhibiting those sort of, uh, that sort of behavior. We did not find significant, uh, significant difference in behavior uh, at sort of um, at, the, at the level of ethnicity, um, so that was that was really interesting for us. So what we 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 kept the sort of the the target behavior at that men between the ages of forty uh, and fifty nine in the sort of the lower deprivation deciles. Um, and in terms of the behaviors that they were exhibiting, that's where it's interesting, right? So. Why, what was leading those men to basically feel very overconfidence about their health or uh, this, you know, just disregard the service, this, this text that they were being sent or that letter that perhaps they were receiving uh, through the mail. Um, and so that's, that's where we, we found, if I remember correctly, about 12 different types of barriers, uh, of, of behavioral barriers. The first one of which was the total unawareness of the NHS health check. That was the biggest, uh, the biggest sort of barrier that we found, um, and um, and and you know one that was extremely interesting for us, but one that ultimately we we couldn't do uh, very very much uh, about, or we couldn't do very much about directly. Then I think there were a lot of uh, barriers related to general perceptions of the uh, NHS, po both positive and negative. And uh, remember, this was all at the time of COVID. So in the middle of the pandemic, we had basically two types of behaviors and perception. One, uh, people thought, oh, I am young, uh, I am in health, and the NHS um, is absolutely overwhelmed, particularly at the minute. They do, they do not need one more healthy uh, relatively young men to come in. Uh, they, they just need to sort of carry on with what they're doing. And then other types of perception, which were um, a bit more negative, which was where what, what is sort of one test uh, going to be able to do? What is the NHS going to be able to do about sort of monitoring my health uh, once every uh, X years? And, and there were sort of uh, uh, quite a lot of negative perception around the potential uh, efficacy of those tests, right, and the validity of those tests. We found um, a number of sort of more uh, administrative and practical barriers around people anticipating issues with booking. Um, so that was both sort of uh, uh, real or imagined, but sort of thinking, oh, it's going to be a nightmare to book that in. Um, uh, I'm not going to be able to take time off work. Uh, this is not something that you know often, particularly in the in the sort of the the, the affluence profile that we were targeting, you know, could not afford to take time off work for that uh, for that sort of thing. 
And then finally, I think quite a lot of, uh, uh, as you'd expect, um, quite, a, quite a few barriers and biases that sort of displayed a bit of an ostrich effect, right? What I don't know uh, doesn't hurt me or, you know, uh, uh, the sort of the overconfidence around one's health when uh, uh, we're in our 40s and sort of going, well, um, you know, I'm in good health, I'm young, this is not going to happen to me. So that was the, the sort of the landscape at the time. Vicky, were there any surprises in, in terms of those findings? Anything, you know, obviously you'd looked into this type of research before. Is there anything from this particular bit of insights gathering that you sort of thought, oh, wasn't expecting that? Yeah, I think the the what was interesting was the the relationship with the GPs and right? the the I think one of the biggest drivers um, or causality link basically between someone who would attend their health check versus someone who would not was just a level of um, of closeness that they have with their GP. And actually, that was that was one that was difficult to action for us, right? Because it was sort of uh, um, a vicious or virtuous cycle, whichever way you put it. But um, I think that was the biggest the biggest predeterminant in saying if someone is gonna is gonna attend and basically go to the GP is whether or not they go there already. So this is not so much a surprise, um, but sort of an added layer of challenge for us uh, when we were designing the, the intervention. Um, I think the surprise really probably had more to do with the, the sort of the, the divergence in those uh, perceptions of the NHS, how you could basically have within one population um, sort of uh, two, two separate and, and such extreme and diverse beliefs around um, what the NHS can do for them or couldn't indeed. And does that yeah. echo Vicky your, from the council <clears throat> point of view? Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I was surprised at how many were unaware of the health check mm. um, and I think it, it sort of opened my eyes to I guess my own assumptions that obviously having worked in that area I just assumed it was it no I wouldn't assume that everyone knew about it um, but actually I was surprised at the number of people who hadn't heard about it um, particularly with people who had potentially been, should have been invited sort of two three times by that point um considering you know that they're invited once every every five years um and so that for me I was a bit like ah so how how are we going to increase the uptake if people don't know what it is mm. really and that was the biggest thing I think perceptions around health um were quite clear um and I think I, I wasn't hugely surprised about the differences in the perceptions um, necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think from a public health perspective, I thought, wow, that awareness, mm. it, it just is just it's just not um, not there, which um, was quite, quite impactful for me. Yeah. So we've got our challenge. We've done our insights and research. We're understanding the 12 barriers. Mm -hmm. um, that are sort of driving against the behaviour we want to see. So what were the next steps from there? So from there, um, in a way, I want to say the fun begins, right? Because you have your, uh, you've got, you've got your challenge. You've identified your behaviours to change. Um, then what, what we needed to do was go into um, ideation, you know, and sort of say, 
what are the possible solutions? And, you know, we, our agency is an insights and innovation one. So I think we always place quite a lot of importance on the sort of the, the stimulus and the ideation part of the process. Or anyway, that's that's where I that's why I'm saying that's where the, the fun began. Uh, very biased, obviously. But the what we did there with the consortium is that we embarked upon a exploratory research. What we did ask the um, the, the program managers and the councils to um, have a scan around, you know, um, how could we uh, basically nudge people towards um, sort of adopting this, uh, the sort of ch challenging those um, those barriers that we'd identified, uh, try and understand from other industries uh, how businesses were, were achieving that. Um, uh, there were great examples from uh, obviously behavioral other behavioral science interventions so try and and get some stimulus around that and then uh we we had this sort of this one ideation session where we came up with a long list of possible potential behavioral uh, intervention um i think by the end of which we had seven to choose from and they ranged from uh, you know sort of above the line campaigns where we thought well maybe if we have a, a sort of a, com a line of communication with a, a superhero right that would come and sort of uh, help break the barriers uh, around uh, this uh, this overconfidence bias of uh, feeling invincible you know as a man in your 40s you know if we have a superhero who comes on screen or on paper and says you know I too go to the NHS health check. Uh, we could break this uh, this uh, invisibility, invincibility uh, bias perception. That was one idea, for instance. Um, we had others that were more sort of uh, around the sort of the targeted messaging uh, to to improve um, the the response rates to the invites, right? Because what we'd identified is that um, people did receive actually quite a lot of comms. Uh, around the NHS health check, they just weren't responding, they weren't booking that check, they weren't booking that appointment. So there we, we explored uh, a number of things from referral schemes to sort of testimonials um, and, uh, uh, and that's where we landed on the voice notes. Which was the one we, we, we chose. Do you want me to, to go through it? Yeah, please do, please do. So, um, okay, so one of the, 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 the barriers that, uh, well, the many barriers that we've identified, right, is that people don't go to the health check because they have those sort of health perceptions, those biases, feeling overconfident, feeling that if they don't know, it's better, um, and feeling that basically people like them don't need to go to a health check. Uh, a behavioral science uh, technique um, that's uh, that's sort of proven and uh, very efficient is to say, well, if someone like you uh, tells you that it's been uh, uh, useful for them, you'll be more inclined to go, right? That's the, the sort of the, the social norms of social, <laughs> exactly. And um, and so what what we thought we would do is um, is that sort of testimonial mechanism but instead of having it as part of a leaflet or um, you know an email 
or even uh, sort of spelled out in the in the text, uh, would try and attach a voice note actually to make it even more personable because we know that uh, uh, you know earring is one of the most sort of intimate form of conversation. Uh, we know that voice notes are also increasingly sort of popular as as way of uh, communicating more than an SMS. And so we thought, let's update that invite, um, that text, that SMS text. Let's make it sort of uh, even more compelling and let's attach to it a voice note that is recorded uh, by a man in between the ages of uh, 40 to 59, uh, you know, within our affluence target and attach that to uh, the invites for um, for the, uh, I think six to eight weeks and see and see what happens. So, so we're using that sort of messenger effect again that we've spoken about on previous episodes of the podcast and just really carefully choosing who the messenger is, who's delivering that voice note um, and matching it to our target profile, um, both in terms of gender and, and affluence as well. So how was that message delivered? What was the mechanism by which the nudge got out there into the community? Mm. So the what what we did uh, was attach it. I think the 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 one thing to to be mindful of when uh, when we're talking about delivering an intervention in the sort of the public health space, right, is that um, it's obviously you know um, uh, heavily regulated, right. So it's not like we could go and sort of uh, uh, find a, a number phone numbers and sort of uh, start ending out, you know sending out invites on our own. We uh, we we had to work very closely with the CEGs, with the with the councils, um, with the GP practices, uh, and ensure that uh, you know we would be able to improve the message, the existing invites, but within the existing framework, right? Hence your hence your question. And so. Um, We've we've had a lot of help, I should add, from not only the councils but uh, uh, partners uh, in the the various CGs uh, who've helped us um, understand how those invites go out, um, how they're uh, being written, the sort of the softwares that are that are being used um, to to do that, and um, how we could target as much as possible uh, those new invitations. So what we did is. We recorded, we had a, a few councils record for us um, messages and we selected the one uh, that we thought was sort of most spontaneous, right, uh, which was a testimonial, right, so this was the uh, a man in his 40s uh, basically saying, um, I've just been through an NHS health check um, and it's been really helpful. They, you know, they found out, uh, you know, that uh, um, I've had to make some tweaks about uh, my diet and I'm really glad that I did it, right? So something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and we've attached that uh, to the, to the invites. The councils helped us recruit 16 um, practices. And uh, what we did was design a, an, an intervention sort of trial uh, with a, sort of a, a control group and an intervention group uh, to make sure that we could not only send out those messages, uh, but, you know, monitor uh, the, the effect that it would have on actual attendance. So, so sorry, Vicky, you were going to come in there? Yeah, I was just about to say what Steph had said anyway about actually NHS health checks. Um, 
invitations are generally sent by GP practices. Um, if that's the model they use, that's not the only model that councils use, but that's the model that North East London um, mm -hmm. uh, GP practices were, were using at the time of this project. So um, GP practices would send out invitations um, and these invitations could be um, by a letter, text message, or it could even be a face-to-face -face invite. Um, so like Steph said, we worked very, very closely with those GP practices um, to ensure that it was um, in line with how they already worked because we were quite mindful of not wanting to create any more work for them um, with implementing this intervention as well. Just obviously, again, we were obviously implementing this during the pandemic. I think we started the third phase, but, you know, third wave at this point. Um, so it was a bit um, a bit of a tricky time. Um, and so we didn't want to create, obviously, more work for them then, but also, you know, um, just be mindful of um, what capacity they also had with actually carrying out the NHS health check. So, um, yeah, it did require a lot of that, a lot of um, close collaborators uh, working with them. So, yeah, it was just that's all I was going to say. Mm -hmm. no, yeah, yeah, right. Because uh, it's easy to gloss over the sort of the the administrative side once it's uh, once it's done. Uh, but there certainly was quite a lot of logistics involved. I think I just want to pick up a point there, Vicky, around obviously busy GP practices. You talk there about, you know, being mindful of reducing the administrative burdens in order to sort of get them on board. Were there any other tips to share about how you encouraged busy GP practices to take part in this project with everything else that they the pressures they were under? Yeah, I think um, actually surprisingly, a lot of GP practices were um, um, quite keen to get involved anyway so there were so uh, sorry it's not very a behavioral answer but they the interest was there um and they were keen to improve their uptake the uptake of nhs health checks more generally um as well so it was quite it was quite good to get um to get those gp practices but you know i must admit there were obviously other gp practices saying we absolutely do not have capacity to do this and completely understandably so um so again we just had to um work just just let them know that we are, were absolutely mindful and and that was fine um but i think for me it was having those close relationships initially with those gp practices as well you know having worked with them previously on nhs health checks and different other capacities obviously really drew brought those relationships and that trust that we already had with them um out so that was really really helpful um and obviously we so we knew we knew how they worked and they knew how we worked so yeah, it's just a really important point to highlight that takes work. And, and as you were saying, Steph, doesn't happen, you know, by accident. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, so yeah. I just wanted to really pull out how you've done that, mm -hmm. uh, built those excellent relationships with your stakeholders. So how long did the intervention last for? Uh, it was live um, for eight weeks. Um, and I, I I think the, yeah, absolutely the the, the sort of the relationships um, that each of the councils had with the surgeries were uh, absolutely foundational in in uh, helping us not just you know recruit the GPs but then 
launch the intervention as well as monitor, right? Because I think it's uh, it's it's one of those things. Even if in this instance it was a a text message and a and a voice note, um, there was quite a lot of uh, tech involved in the background. You know, sort of uh, which uh, again, which software do you use? Uh, and there's sort of two types of uh, softwares that are being used. Uh, uh, by and large, in that uh, in that sort of geographical area, um, and then ensuring that the the GP uh, the surgeries and we know how busy they are, um, and especially how busy they were uh, coming out of the Omicron wave, uh, who spend time every week with uh, our program managers and our council sort of checking in saying uh, you know are people are more people coming in um, you know is there a sort of a technical issue uh, when do we when do we end it so I think that's that was um, you know a sort of a quieter uh, eight weeks perhaps from the from the outside but uh, very much one where actually the, all those relationships need to be in place and um, and everything needs to be monitored very closely. I think you're right, Steph. I think Lauren, uh, the, the project manager um, from the pitch side, really stepped up in terms of building relationships and that that support um, mm. and meeting with with us as well every week um, and constant contact with the, the GPs, not too much so to overwhelm them or overburden them, but just enough to be able to maintain that relationship and say if you do need any support or help. Um, I, I actually think that was probably pivotal in in this intervention implementation. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Vicky. So we often get asked about the data in these projects and, you know, how did you monitor, how did you measure the success of the trial? Mm-hmm. That is uh, a very good question, uh, which has many layers in this instance. Um, so the, the first question is, how would we measure the impact of an intervention on um, GPs just following the, the pandemic, right? Through a, a sort of a very, uh, very, very dramatically sort of uh, that's changed the shape of the of the data in old uh, GP surgery and the NHS in any case. So that was our first challenge. We thought, okay, what can we compare it with? It's not like we can just go and say, oh, because we, we you know, we ran, um, uh, you know, in, in the spring and we couldn't go and say, oh, well, let's go and monitor what happened last year in the spring because that previous year uh, you know was uh, was a pandemic year and the previous one as well so that was a statistical challenge from one uh, and we decided to approach to to take a, sort of a difference in difference approach and compare the data we collected during those eight weeks with uh, 2019 baseline data uh, sort of before the pandemic so that was number one um statistical challenge then there is a, a sort of a um, i would say a regulatory challenge right so how can we safely access um non-identifiable data uh, and sort of get to sail to a level of granularity um that is enough to enable us to to sort of uh to run some analysis and perform analysis that's going to be meaningful and that was 
the second challenge. So um, what we've done there is heavily relied once more on the sort of the, the friends of the consortium um, who have been able to introduce us to the right uh, clinical commissioning groups, uh, the right uh, CEGs, the right people in the primary care network to find uh, a pathway to data. And uh, uh, very kindly, the sort of the, the, the St. Mary's CSD has done the data extraction for us uh, on the sort of the, their main software, which is EMIS. And they've done the sort of the data extraction for the 2019 baseline data, looking at uh, booking and attendance. And they've done it also for um, the, the sort of the time of the intervention, looking at various demographic uh, sort of attributes uh, across gender, age, uh, deprivation, uh, and ethnicity. And um, using that, in addition to the sort of the, the contextual observational data that we got from the GPs who were running the trial, we've been able to, to assess um, the impact of the intervention. Yeah. And could I just also add just that, um, yeah, we absolutely relied on um, the CEG to help with this. Um, they actually aggregated all the data um, before giving it to the councils to ensure that um, there was no um, identifiable information in there of, of patients or anything like that that was sent to us. So it was all aggregated um, to a level um, that would that would not reach any of those um so I just wanted to also make that make that point very clear because that's quite key I think particularly when doing um interventions in such sensitive um areas um such as health um it's really something that needs to be considered absolutely and I think this could have been a big stumbling block for us um had we not had the sort of the right contacts lined up with the information governance officers um in your council and and sort of others uh Vicky and and uh yeah this, the the pathway to data I think and ensuring that it's clear from a regulatory perspective is really is really really important and the CEG is what does that stand for um, the clinical effectiveness group, group um, and the one that particularly helped us and that we must mention uh, is one of uh, Queen Mary University of London uh, and they've been an absolute ally for us in this data collection and ensuring that uh, not only we could have access to the data but it was in the sort of the most compliant way. That's, that's um, yeah I think that whole point around finding the allies, finding the wider team across the consortium earlier on, who are your stakeholders, who can help you in terms of data, who can help you in terms of comms uh, mm. and getting the message out there. Like that's a key learning we're finding from the councils going through our consortium approach is to build that team around you as a project manager uh, within your council so that you have that support back at base from the work you're doing with the consortium. So really, really important to peel that one out. And so what were the results? Mm, what were the results uh, indeed? I think um, the best way the best way to 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 describe the results of our intervention is that um, it worked a little too well. <laughs> and uh, by that, I mean that we were targeting, uh, as a reminder, we we're targeting those men uh, ages forty to fifty nine. 
uh, in a sort of a, a certain uh, deprivation decile. And what we found through uh, through the data and through analysis is that um, our intervention had worked on them, right? But not, and they had their 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 attendance to health check had improved um, uh, sort of slightly during the the period of the intervention. However, what we've also found is that in comparing the results from the intervention surgeries with the control surgeries, um, that the the those patients who had received the text and voice notes, but who were not within our demographic targets, namely women, uh, particularly women, uh, uh, or sort of women, uh, sort of a BAME uh, ethnicity particularly, uh, actually att uh, attended less the health checks. And so um, it had a dissuading sort of um, effect on those who did not feel targeted by the message. So that's a really interesting one. Um, and I think in a way, uh, I'll repeat that, it worked a little too well. The, the behavioral principle at play, which is um, in its simplest terms, is sort of saying, I'll be influenced by people like me, worked. Uh, but the counter, the pendant of that is that, uh, you know, you will be dissuaded by people who are not like you. And this sort of this lack of uh, representativeness in the message was really very much a double-edged sword. And I think there's loads of conclusions um, that can be drawn from that. Um, and and yeah, sometimes there's, there's sort of almost more more value in the negative effect than in the than in the positive one. But uh, yeah. Vicky. I think for me as well, I think it's fantastic that obviously um, we've got, got such such good results. But I think for me, this really, really highlights that issue of um, unintended consequences, mm -hmm. something that I perhaps um, personally sort of not considered too much during during the project. And this is a huge learning curve for me and, and something that actually really actually needs to be considered right at the beginning of a project. And for all it's really like useful for us to know and like you say Steph actually learning you actually almost learn more by that mm. um but we really need to be considerate of of actually if we do try and you know decrease uh these inequalities here what are we doing over there and and what wider impact is that actually having on maybe the system or the individuals um and so it's really I think that's really quite stark for me that that came out and, and really important thing for um all for for all to consider doing any sort of any any project beyond behavioural projects just understanding what the unintended consequences could could be they don't always have to be necessarily negative um but it, it's just considering what what wider impact that might have yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really hard to see behind corners, right? I mean, um, that's ultimately that's the that's the challenge here. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think as we um, as we help um, sort of uh, 
build up the basis, you know, the, the 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 base knowledge, right, that exists, and and hopefully through sort of literature reviews and um, through you know thorough research, you know, we can at least take comfort in the fact that even with this podcast, we're helping other people see behind that corner, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, you've got to start. You've got to start somewhere, and you know, you you're, you're not going to know everything, and there are going to be you know unintended consequences that you can't foresee. Um, yeah. but it's it's something to be mindful of throughout I think absolutely mm. yeah exactly. definitely and that's what we want other councils listening in to be mindful of that and um and and learn from your it was a pioneering project that we hadn't done before so so definitely want to share this story around unintended consequences and, and that point you say Vicky around at the very start of the project when you're thinking about data where are we going to get our sources from where are we going to understand the barriers and get our insight from there is that other piece around what potentially could be the unintended consequences almost your risk register at the start of a project um, and the majority won't come to anything but it's it's part of that designing a trial isn't it so so really an important yeah, point so absolutely so bearing in mind those results, Steph, you talked about some conclusions and recommendations. You know, what are the conclusions and recommendations for the councils to take forward based on those results? Yes. So I think there are sort of uh, recommendations that have to do with, you know, replicating that uh, sort of approach. And we know that uh, some councils have uh, gotten together ever since uh, the, the trial's finished and, you know, they're, they're aiming to, to, to apply those learnings, which is fantastic. So I'll go through those. And then there's really um, learning sort of typically on how to increase access to, um, how, to how to increase uh, attendance to NHS Health Check, really, which is those are the practical learnings. So when it, when it comes to that, um, I think what uh, our recommendations would be um, they're sort of around saying well let's have some more gender specific voice notes right uh, in in the future to also be targeting women there's also a very clear um, sort of cultural lens and what we would love to do or we would love to see in a future intervention is um, to have the sort of the format replicated but be available in more languages uh, as to bridge sort of uh, attendance inequalities uh, for various communities. Um, we, we also found that the, the language that we use in the SMS um, that was attached to the note um, was meant to basically ease concerns around difficulties uh, of booking, right? So we said, yeah, I've reserved a spot for you uh, uh, in the practice. And whilst it, may, it made quite a lot of people feel special, right, if that text was not met with practical availability in the practice, actually it raised, uh, you know, quite a bit of frustration. So um, there's also lessons there around aligning availability with the messaging where, where possible um, and encouraging the practices to tweak um, the, those messages actually um, in a more agile and, and frequent way. I think um, we very much, I think we'd, uh, we, we'd stand behind this idea of improving the SMS and, and adding the voice notes where we'd love to see, uh, and in terms of recommendation, is sort of uh, try, try different angles, try and target it as much as possible, because this is really where the, the sort of the, the operating behavioral science principle could work and could really um, drive, drive access to to health checks. Yeah. 
absolutely and i i think if i if i can add on um just a few um thoughts from from my end as well from sort of a public health perspective i think this it's really key to understand that obviously when you're doing a behavioral science project you have to be very specific you have to be very targeted at what the behavior is going to be who you're going to target and all of that and actually there was a lot of findings that we we had at the beginning that we weren't able to address which was also really important for us to take forward as council so things like this unawareness of NHS health checks um, and as, as an initiative and I think I really would encourage people to just not forget about that initial work that you already have done that in that real key insight work um, yeah. that for all you might not necessarily be able to take all of it forward actually we can go back to that um, and it just shows how how important like really understanding the population is um, so for us, you know, I fed back to our council around the relationship with GPs being absolutely key. I think that was a huge recommendation for us. Um, but also this accessibility in booking appointments. That was actually something we we discussed as a potential intervention, wasn't it, um, Steph? About what 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 did we what influence did we have in actually being able to change that? And we we didn't have that at the time, but perhaps that's something someone could take moving forward. So I think for those those really key recommendations that Steph. Um, has mentioned regarding the findings it's almost as well like let's let's look beyond those as well and look at what all we have already in our bank of knowledge and insight um and what can we now use with them moving forward with what we already what we've known now from this um from this project so it's almost like building on that project um which is really exciting so it's not like it's just done and dusted now we can then use all of this moving forward um but yeah so Great. So coming on to my final question. So we always like to finish the podcast with some practical tips for councils that are listening in and thinking, I really want to, you know, implement this nudge mm. in my local area. So I'll ask you first, Steph. So what are your top three tips to those councils listening, thinking, mm. how can I, I want to implement this, but what are the top three tips you would say? Mm, okay. Um, data. <laughs> will have to be number one um thinking really really far ahead around um access to data uh hurdles and again particularly when it comes to making sure uh, or, or areas where compliance might be an issue um i think trying to get um yeah as much clarity around the pathway to data from an extremely early point really as as early as kickoff would be uh, number one. Uh, number two, we've mentioned allies and allyship. I think uh, you know we, we wouldn't have time to list all the people who've actually helped us um, beyond the council and um, beyond our respective teams. I think that um, finding basically those points of strength using the, the connections that each of the, the PMs, the program managers have had in um, within our consortium, we, you know, we wouldn't have been to able to deliver that if, if it hadn't been for those specific allies um, around, uh, yeah, the CEG, as we've said, the CCG. Um, uh, so that was, that was really essential. 
Um, and then I think uh, number three is probably around governance and sort of clarity on roles and responsibilities. I think especially as the size of the team increases, having extreme clarity around roles and responsibilities around the consortium um, is essential to, um, to make sure that we not only deliver, but we do it with still a great sense of uh, momentum and energy. That'd be that. So that's around, yeah, so the council's being clear what they're doing as project managers on it, the supplier being clear, the LGA being clear, you know, getting that roles and responsibilities all into place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And as much as possible, sort of chart that with great visibility um, ahead. And I think it's always this very difficult balance of discovering a new problem, but trying to apply uh, a sort of a, a rather rigid uh, defined construct around roles and responsibility. That's the that's the tension. Brilliant. Great three points. Vicky, your three tips. Thanks. Um... Yeah, I was just frantically thinking then when Steph was talking. Um, but um, I think for me, um, one key point, really understand what the behaviour is you're wanting to change. I think that is absolutely key and pivotal. Um, it's quite often that we do tend to fall into the trap of an outcome being the behaviour, but actually really being specific about what that behaviour is, I think is absolutely key. And also making sure that everyone on the project knows what that is as well. Um, fortunately, we didn't we didn't really have that problem, but um, you know that can happen. Um, the second point I would say is particularly coming from like a council perspective, and perhaps maybe from from a perspective of where we might not have behavioural expertise, you know, like like Steph's team uh, coming in, if you were to go ahead and do something like this on your own, really have someone who is an expert in behavioural insights and the council sort of help drive work, uh, drive the work. You need that enthusiasm and drive because you do come up against barriers and resistance and it's not because people don't want to do it, um, but it's because it's it is tricky. I think Steph has alluded to a lot of the sort of logistical barriers that we we came up against. Um, it's not easy. So I think having that that person to really drive that would be is is key within a council. And I think this sort of really aligns nicely with my third point: is don't be afraid of being innovative. Try it. Trial it. Um, and see where it takes you because you learn a lot more by doing it than by not so that's that's my um mm. my advice i love that final point <laughs> to encourage innovation brilliant stuff <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Vicky and Steph. Thank you for being with us today and um, wish you well with your, your future behavioural insights work. And we'll have to feature again on the podcast. You have to come back and talk to us about how things develop soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having us. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, Rianne. And thanks, Vicky. Great stuff. Thank you all to everyone for listening. Please do share this with your colleagues and your networks. And we're really keen to understand um, if there's any potential future topics or speakers you'd like to hear from on the podcast. So please do drop us an email at behavioralinsights@local.gov.uk, and we'll make sure we feature them on the podcast. Thanks for listening.